Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Welcome, everyone, to all of our guests. Welcome home. Welcome to everyone watching online from wherever you're watching from. I'm so glad to be in God's house today. David said, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So, you know, I feel like church down here is just practice for church up there, right? It's getting us ready for imagine being in God's presence forever with no sin, no challenges, no limitations of this world. That's going to be an amazing day. Amen. We're going to be in First Peter, so go ahead and turn there. First Peter, as you turn there, um, we're going through a series called The Culture of the Kingdom. This has been a six-part series just kind of explaining what the kingdom of God is, his rule and his reign in the cosmos. As long as God has lived, which is forever, his kingdom has reigned, and God is leading us as a church. We like to say we're not a church with the kingdom, but we're a kingdom with the church. So if that's the case, we've got to know how the kingdom of God operates. So a little preview for next week. Next week, we're going to be exciting Vision Sunday. A lot of good things are happening next Sunday. Uh, Sunday night, Justin's getting ordained. So let's give Justin a hand wherever he's at. Um, so that's going to be important next Sunday at 5. So next Sunday is kind of a hallelujah celebration week. Um, for those of you who weren't under the tent several weeks ago when we laid out our vision, um, those of you who were, it got a little, a little cold and the wind started blowing, so everyone got distracted. So we're going to revisit the vision, talk about the next year in context of the next five years, how we want to disciple more people, how we want to reach the community, how we want to love the congregation. That's a little preview for next week. So as we get ready to look at First Peter 5, I just want to ask you, has there been any, anyone in your life that's been a shaping influence? Who in your life has had an impact on your life that you would say changed you or shaped you in some way? As I think about that question, I answer it with a few answers. Number one, my parents. I'm the youngest of six kids. They raised me in church nine months before I was born. And they shaped me. They molded me. They taught me how to love Jesus and how to love the Bible. And I'm here today partly because of my parents. Another shaping influence is my lovely bride over here of over 12 years. Uh, I, I learned in seminary, I, I took this marriage and family class, and this is a, a little note for all the singles or single again out there. They, they taught us in the class, if you marry the right person, you become twice the person. If you marry the wrong person, you become half the person. So marry well, men and women, marry well. So I'm, I'm married way over beyond my wildest dreams, and Lori's made me twice the person I would have been apart from her. So my, my parents, my wife. And growing up, I had a high school pastor that pastored the church. His name was Randy Johnson, and he was a shaping influence. He taught me that life was full of problems, amen? Life's full of challenges, but you've got to keep moving forward. And he allowed me just to hang out around his family. He, he has three kids, and he allowed me just to realize that pastors aren't perfect people either. They have their ups and downs, and he believed in me when others didn't. Even when I didn't believe in myself, he believed in me. And so he was a shaping influence. 
Today we're going to talk about how God raises up people to be shaping influences in your life. Last week we talked about deacons, what the role of deacons was and is. And we're excited to announce we're bringing back the deacon ministry in this church, God willing, next Sunday. We do have, um, the, the, some of you asked for a description of the different deacons nominations. They're in the back if you want to get the handout. We have 11 candidates we'll be voting on next Sunday after church. But the deacons are part of the shaping influence. But God also raises up pastors and leaders in your life. People that make an internal impact upon you. So we're going to talk about the role of pastors in the life of a local church. And also we're going to talk about the local church and how God has fashioned them. So I want you guys to hang in there because I may not step on your toes till the end of the message when we'll talk to the church. But we're going to talk about the role of shepherds. So let's look at First Peter chapter 5. We're going to be reading the first nine verses. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that be, will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And then he speaks to the church at large. Likewise, you younger people Submit yourself to your elders. Is all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Let us pray. Father, we've read your word, and as we get ready to partake of the spiritual meal of your word, we pray that the, the bread of life would just come forth and that you would speak to us. Lord, your words are spirit and your words are life. So, Father, as the word is presented, we pray that we'd see Jesus high and lifted up. We pray that we'd see ourselves in need of a Savior. We'd see ourselves in need of grace. And, Father, for all those who are present in person and listening online, that we would thank you that you're the ultimate shepherd. You're the chief shepherd. So, Lord, bless this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've entitled today's message, A Snapshot of a Shepherd. A Snapshot of a Shepherd. So, the first principle is a shepherd is, an elder is a shepherd of the flock of God. An elder is a shepherd of the flock of God. Look back at verse 1. He says, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So, here's the idea. Peter, even though he was an apostle, even though he had seen Jesus transfigured, and he had done miracles and seen so many amazing things, he didn't put himself above the other leaders of the church. He said, listen, I'm a fellow elder. How many of you were raised in the Catholic church? Raise your hand. Uh, we've got a few former Catholics, my wife being one. In the Catholic church, they taught that Peter was the first what? The first pope. Did Peter say that here? He said, listen, I'm not high and lifted above anybody. I'm a fellow elder. That's what I love about Peter. 
And by the way, the challenge that he's going to give to us, in many respects, he fell short in almost all of these areas he's going to challenge us with. About being faithful, did he deny Jesus? Not once, not twice, but three times. So here's the thing, as we read this, and it's heavy, realize there's grace because Peter messed up, but he got back up. You're not a failure if you get back up. A lot of times, you will make mistakes. It's not if. God doesn't call us to perfection, he calls us to progress. Right? Because we're sinners, saved by the grace of God, but he wants us to keep moving forward. So when you see something in the Bible that you don't live up to, don't discount it, don't say, I can't do it. Say, I'm a human being. That's a human becoming. I'm a work in progress. God's still working on me. Look at the person next to you and say, God's still working on you. I'm just kidding, on me. He's still working on me. So notice, he, he uses a Greek word here for shepherd. It's the Greek word poimen. And the idea of a shepherd involves three things. Number one, a shepherd leads the flock. The idea with sheep, if you've ever noticed sheep, they're a little directionally challenged. They don't have like a GPS, you know, sheep GPS device. So they need a shepherd that has the vision of where they're going. All right, flock, let's go. Have you ever noticed sometimes it's hard to gather sheep together unless you have food? When you have food and you do the feeding call, all the sheep come running where there's food. So a shepherd leads the flock. A shepherd also feeds the flock. When you talk about poimen, a shepherd, you're talking about someone that knows how to feed the flock. I love this story of this Native American gentleman. He was an older man. He went to church one Sunday to hear the pastor. He was a visitor. And the pastor, you know, sees the Native American gentleman there. And he realizes, I haven't prepared for the sermon. So he tries to make up for his lack of preparation with being bombastic, yelling and screaming and just working up a storm. You know, the, you know, the little rag they start waving. I mean, he was just like preaching up a storm. And after the congregation... The people, like, man, our pastor, he preached up a storm. So they asked the visitor, they said, what do you think of the pastor's sermon today? And he said, I have six words, six words for you. High wind, big thunder, no rain. High wind, big thunder, no rain. Because part of the shepherd's job is to feed the flock. So I, how many of you guys enjoy cooking in here? I know we have men and women that enjoy cooking. I view myself kind of like a spiritual chef. So what I do all week is preparing it. I know the audience. I know there's going to be visitors every week, special guests. So I try to get the word, and like a spiritual chef, try to prepare, prepare a spiritual meal so that every Sunday you come away not hungry, but you come away spiritually full. And my, my dream for this church, not just myself, but with their other teachers or other leaders, as Sunday school teachers, as deacons, as elders, anyone that has a ministry of the word, our goal is for you guys to be the best fed sheep in Western North Carolina. We want you to be some well-fed sheep. Amen. So he leads the sheep, he feeds the sheep, but he also protects the flock. A shepherd has a ministry of protection. I'll never forget, I shared this story with some of you. When I was in Texas, I used to do a singles ministry. And it was a lot of people that were single, single again, divorced, looking for... Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. And so there were a lot of people kind of searching. So one, one service, this businessman shows up, very good-looking guy. All the ladies are like, who's this guy? And he, he definitely gets the attention. So after he's a guest, he sends me this email, and he says, Timothy, I really appreciate your ministry, and he, he's buttering me up. And then he has this knife at the, at the email, and he said, I don't want you to talk about purity. You know, he's like, you know, Sexual purity is kind of old fad. It's, it's no longer relevant. 
So I had to confront this guy because he was going to be a wolf in, in the pack of sheep. He was going to be a wolf in the flock of sheep. And I had to confront him and say, I'm only going to preach God's word. You're not going to tell me what to say from God's word. I will proclaim the truth, and I still will to this day. And he never came back. Goodbye, wolf. He left, he left the flock. So Peter encourages the elders to shepherd the flock. So an elder is a shepherd. And it brings a question for all of our Bible students. How were these elders selected in the New Testament church? You ever ask that question? Like, did they just magically appear? Where did they come from? Because this was a new congregation. People were just getting saved. So how in the world were elders selected? Well, first of all, an elder is called to this position. In Acts 20, 28, it says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock of God which is among you, whom God made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So notice it says that the Holy Spirit made you overseers. So when it comes to ministry, you can't be mama called. You can't pursue this as just another vocation. If you're going to be a, an elder, if you're going to be a pastor, you have to be called by God himself. Because here's the reason why. Challenges will come. And if your mama called, you're going to bail out. Challenges will come. And if you are called by God to shepherd for God, you will stay the course. You will be a shepherd that continues on. And sometimes life will hit you. Sometimes you get injured. But guess what? You are called by God. And as one of the prophets said, if I, if I withhold from speaking, there's a fire that burns in my bones. And it's like I can't help but shepherd. Like this is a calling I'm called by God. Second aspect is elders need to be trusted by the congregation. Notice in our scripture, Peter says, shepherd the flock. The thing about sheep is they have to trust the shepherd. If the sheep don't trust the shepherd, you're not going to go anywhere. You're going to stay like stuck and the sheep are going to scatter. So here's the idea. It's implied that while there's no mechanical process of selecting elders, generally speaking, a lot of the congregation would recommend people like here's here's someone that would be an elder. Here's someone in this community that's there. And it's the job of the spiritual leaders to vet whether these people are true to the scripture. So I'll give you some passages to look at. If you look at in first Peter, he says, shepherd the flock, not being as lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So here's the idea. God wants shepherds to be examples not lording over, not ruling over, but being examples. So the sheep need someone they can trust. They need someone that they can follow. Tom Rainier, who's a researcher, once said that it takes a pastor on average five to seven years to become the church's pastor. I'll say that again. It takes a pastor. Once you call a pastor, it takes that gentleman five to seven years to earn the trust. You think that's true? That's a long time. And here's the challenge. Most pastors never make it to the five-year mark. They leave, problems happen, they go to the, God's calling me to another flock. In other words, I've had problems. Now, there are times God calls, but a lot of times there's been conflict, so they move on. And here's the thing, they, if they would just stay a few more years longer, they would reap the benefits of what they did. If they, if they wait past that initial, I'm learning to trust you aspect. And I just want to tell you, from, I want to share a little bit from my heart. Is that okay? Can I share from my heart a little bit? Mike, is that okay? All right, I got your permission. So here's the thing. I know that I have to follow God's call. Like, that's, that's the caveat. I gotta follow wherever God calls me. If He calls me to be a missionary, ten buck two, I gotta go. Sorry, baby, we're going to ten buck two. We're just, we're that way. But my heart's desire is I would love to be here for decades if God allows me the privilege. I would love to build a pastor your grandkids one day. You know? 
I'm, I'm still young. I'm not 40 yet. That's March. But, you know, I feel like I got three more decades if the Lord tarries. So what I want to do is I want to shepherd you. I want to lead you. I want to feed you in such a way that one day when some of you get promoted to glory, your grandkids are here and I'm challenging them and I'm stepping on their toes. How about that? All right. We need to create a church where you can enjoy it. But generations, we've got to look at the grandkids. We've got to look at your children and your grandchildren. So third principle is elders are recommended by the congregation and confirmed by the spiritual leaders of the church. Now look at Titus 1.5 on your listening guide. Paul tells Titus, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set things in order, things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So who was called to appoint the elders? Titus was, right? Now that's not to say the congregation didn't have input, like, hey, this is a... But Titus was the one who would challenge, are these men qualified biblically? Because when you elect an elder or even a deacon, it's not a popularity contest. They either match the scriptures or they don't. In Acts 14, we see Paul and Barnabas going from city to city, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. And notice verse 23, it says, So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So who appointed elders in this, in this situation? Paul and who? Barnabas. It doesn't mean that the congregation didn't recommend people, but Paul and Barnabas were responsible before God to say these men are qualified or they're not. So kind of summarize it, if you look on your listening guide, how, how were elders selected in the early church? There's no mechanical process laid out, but the best we can infer is that the congregation as a whole would recommend people. And then the spiritual leaders, you know, Titus, Paul and Barnabas, other Others would basically see if these people line up with the scriptures or not. And they would be the one responsible to either approving them or denying them the office of being an elder. So that's, that's a little background. Principle number two, what does an elder do? An elder is an overseer. So we have an elder as a pastor. An elder is an overseer who serves the people of God out of love. Look back at verse two, last part of that verse. It says, serving as overseers. Not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So the word for overseer is the Greek word episkopos, episkopos. What does that sound like to you? What does that word sound like? Episcopal, right? That's where that word comes from, the Episcopal church, episkopos. And the idea for overseer is someone that manages more than one area of ministry. So let me kind of, for those of you who weren't here about the deacons we talked about last week, please watch it. It's online. But we talked about a deacon as a servant leader. Think about Acts where they waited on tables. And we think about Timothy. So they, they were responsible for a certain type of ministry. A lot of times it was care ministry, a mercy ministry, widows and orphans. So they were responsible for a certain type of ministry, whereas an elder is responsible for all of it. They've they got to see how all the pieces fit together. I joked with Brian and Shannon, there are children's ministers in the first service, and I said, I've got to realize if I go 30 minutes over, that just doesn't affect the congregation, it affects the children's leaders, and the kids are going crazy, and you've got to see how all the pieces fit together. So that's the role of the overseer, how everything fits together. So notice it says that an elder is someone that doesn't do this for dishonest gain. 
And it doesn't do it out of compulsion. So here's the two temptations for a pastor, anyone that's in the spiritual leadership. One temptation out of compulsion is they're lazy. Have you ever met a lazy pastor? Like they just, this is a true story. I had a lady in one of my churches. I wasn't the senior pastor at this church, but she showed up to volunteer in the office. And Amy, she didn't volunteer in the office so she could help. She wanted to spy out to see if the pastors really worked outside of Sunday. That was her whole reason volunteering. I want to see if these guys actually work other than preaching on Sunday. And she learned there's a lot more than preaching involved in ministry. So, um, but part of the, the thing is, is if you want to be lazy, there's a lot of more better jobs to be lazy at. The ministry has no room for lazy people. Amen. Like you've got to be so passionate about it that you live it, breathe it. Like you, you go to bed thinking about it tonight at night, you wake up in the morning you know, uh, one of our staff members told me they were up at two in the morning thinking about the church. And that, that's how pastors should be. They should be so passionate. The other extreme is that they're doing it for dishonest gain. How many of you have seen televangelists that live unbelievable lifestyles at the expense of all the people sending the money? So Peter says, avoid both extreme. You can't be a lazy person. Don't do it. God doesn't want you to be lazy. And you can't be someone that's just in it to try to Benefit yourself. You're there to serve the people. That's the whole mentality behind it. So here's the idea. I want, I want to encourage you. I don't do this because I have to. The staff doesn't do it because we have to. We do it because we get to. I don't preach because I have to. I preach because I get to. I don't pray because I have to. I pray because I get to. I don't lead and feed and shepherd and protect you because I have to. I do it because I get to. This is one of the greatest privileges of my life. And all the staff feel the same way. We don't do this because we have to. It's not compulsion. This is one of the greatest honors of our life. We love you and we consider it a privilege to serve you. Amen? All the staff feel that way. So to summarize it, elder, bishop, pastor are basically the same office, same person. If you'll notice you're listening, God, Skip Isaac, who's a very brilliant Bible teacher. I highly recommend him. He's out of New Mexico. But he summarizes it like this. Elder describes his maturity. Elder describes his maturity. So in the Old Testament, you had elders. They were usually older men. In the New Testament, sometimes they're older, but most, most importantly, they're spiritually mature. doesn't matter what age. Are they spiritually mature? Bishop described his responsibility. He is a bishop. He's overseeing it. And pastor describes his ministry. He's feeding the flock. He's leading the flock. He's protecting the flock. Well said, Skip Isaac. So here's the thing. When we look at elders, when we look at overseers, you have to see them as God's calling them to be a gift to the flock. And their job is not to be served by the flock, but their job is to serve the flock. Their job is to lay their life down for the flock. That's a true shepherd. Jesus said a hireling, he runs when trouble comes, right? But someone that feels like the sheep belong to him, he's willing to lay his life down for the flock. All right, point number three, what is an elder? An elder who faithfully serves will be richly rewarded in eternity. An elder who faithfully serves. Look at verse one. Peter says that we, he is a partaker to the glory that will be, will be revealed. And here's the beautiful thing about partaker. That's not only true for Peter, but it's true for every believer. If you live for Christ, if you have to suffer for him, and you're still faithful to him, you will be a partaker of his glory. And it's like, what does that look like? Well, 
Peter, James, and John got to see this on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw Jesus transfigured, and his face was radiant and glowing, and they were just in awe, and they wanted to live in that moment forever. And here's the thing. That desire was God-given. They wanted to live in that moment, but it wasn't the right time. When we get to be with Jesus face to face, we will live in that moment with him forever. Can you imagine that? His radiant glory. I mean, imagine being in a place where the streets are made of gold. Imagine being in a place where there's no more sickness, no more disease, no more suffering. Imagine being in a place where you're not in any rush anymore. Can you imagine being in a place where time keeps going and you're not in a rush? Have you ever been so B-U-S-Y? You ain't got no... All right, you guys have heard that. Yeah, I mean, just imagine just being laid back and just sitting by the crystal sea and enjoying some meals with people that you wanted to meet. How many of you want to meet Peter or Paul or, I mean, imagine the talking donkey. I don't know if he'll be in heaven, but when the, why did you talk in the Old Testament? What's the deal with that? So it's going to be amazing. So partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And notice in verse 4, it says, And when the chief shepherd appears... And by the way, any pastor that's worth his salt knows that he's not the senior pastor. Jesus is the ultimate pastor. He is the chief shepherd. All of us are under shepherds, right? He's the chief shepherd. We're the under shepherd. So here's the thing. When he appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. In the Greek and Roman games, they, they have the Olympics back, back in the day, Greek and Roman games. They would compete for like this garland reef. I mean, and it was made of flowers or laurel or different plant, and it would fade away. They would compete all this time, and then that would fade away. And Peter says, when you faithfully serve, and this is not just true for elders, but you read through the scripture, there's multiple crowns that God gives for faithful believers. When you, when you live for him, you're living for something beyond this passing world. Don't live for that which fades away. You can have the nicest house and the nicest car. All those things can be great, but they will fade away. It will not last. But live for that which is eternal. Live for that which does not fade away. Peter says, yes, you can compete and have all this stuff, but it's going to fade away. But what you do for God will last forever. You have only one life to live. It'll soon be past. But only what is done for Christ will last. Amen. So... I was reading this legend. It's not a true story, but it was a legend. There was this old shepherd, and he had his flock of sheep. And he was, going, he was trying to get his sheep to graze in greener pasture. So he was going from village to village. He had a donkey, and he had a son with him. So as he went into the first village, he was walking next to the donkey, and his son was by him. And the people of the village said, oh, poor old shepherd. He's so foolish. He should be riding on the donkey, not walking. So the shepherd, so he didn't get criticism, he jumped on the donkey, the kid was beside him, the sheep were following. So he goes into the next village, and they said, man, that guy's abusive to his child. I mean, he should be the one walking, not the, I mean, the kid is walking, look how his face is red, he looks so tired. Someone give him a drink of water. So he's like, all right, so both of us need to get on there. So he got on the donkey, the kid was on the donkey, they went to the third village. So as they went to the third village, the sheep in tow the people said he is cruel to his donkey. I mean, look at this guy. Like two people support, the donkey supporting the weight of both of those guys. I mean, my goodness. So he decided, you know what? I've got to change it up. So in the fourth village, the shepherd, this is the last time they saw him, he was carrying the donkey with the kid on top to see what would happen. So here's the idea behind that is 
we only live to please God. If you try to live for people, it's a never-ending pursuit. It doesn't work. Don't be a people pleaser. You're only living for verse 4, the chief shepherd. That's the only one you're living for. We raise a lot of dogs, as you know, and one thing I've discovered is when a dog chases his tail, he goes nowhere, just in circles. You cannot live for the approval of men. Only thing that you want to do is when you stand before God, him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not living for the applause of men, only living for him. That's what a true shepherd should be about. Stuart Briscoe, look on your listening guide, he had this quote, I think is really brilliant, so I plagiarized him, but I am giving him credit. He said several years ago, the qualifications of a pastor, he said he needs to have the mind of a scholar, he needs to have the heart of a child, and he needs to have the height of a rhinoceros. So think about that. Heart of a scholar, or heart of a child, mind of a scholar, heart of a rhinoceros. All right, now we're going to turn the attention to the church. Just, just when you thought, wow, he's easy on me today, it's all on pastors. Well, just kidding, it's going to be on you now. So how should a healthy church function? How should a biblical church function? Verses 5 through 9 gives us a few principles. The first principle is this. A healthy church has members who trust, respect, and follow their leaders. Notice in verse 5, likewise you younger people submit yourself to your elders. Do we live in a society where people have a hard time yielding to one another? We live in such a society where it's all about my rights. You know, so people struggle in their job, people struggle in society, because you think about it, how many people get in prison or get arrested or get in trouble because back, backing up, they, in school, they didn't want to yield to their teachers. You know, it starts young. And a lot of us have to learn the hard way before we can learn. But you know what? God gives grace. Even for those who've learned the hard way, you can learn and you can get back up. Uh, the story was told of a man who, he was flying, he was flying his plane, and uh, they were they were stopped in San Diego, California, and there was you know pretty good pretty good amount of passengers on the plane. They were flying to another city in California, so the on the on the intercom the hostess said, "Guys, we're going to have a 45 minute layover, so go to the terminal, get you some food, and we'll call you when it's time to go." So everyone rushes out to grab the latest coffee, snacks, Starbucks, hitting it up all of it. And one man remained in the seat. So he was sitting there in the seat. And the pilot goes back to him. His name was Keith. And he had ridden on this, this plane before with the pilot. And the pilot said, Keith, are you, you want to you get out? See, Keith, is, he was blind and he couldn't see. And under his seat was a seeing, uh, do, uh, one of those dogs for the blind, you know, seeing eye dog. So uh, Keith says, no, I'm fine. I, I'm going to stay seated. But the dog, he really could use a walk. So what happened is the pilot's like, I can help him out, Keith. So the pilot leaves the plane, and everyone's in the terminal. I want you to picture the scene. Everyone's waiting, eating peanuts, coffee. They see their pilot coming out with a seeing eye dog. <laughs> and to make matters more interesting, this pilot had a sense of humor. He put on dark glasses. And according to the story, uh, we have a pilot in the first service. He had heard this story before, Blake had, and According to the story, people were so like offended, and I can't believe this. Some tried to switch flights. They, they went to the ca- ticket counter and said, "We want to even get off this airline. Let's. Why? Why? Why would they want to do it? They did not want to entrust their future to a pilot who could not see. And here's the thing about it: is the reason why 
we are to allow God to, to raise up people and leaders, and we're talking about deacons and elders, is people want to trust people that have a vision. They want to know. Here's the thing. We can't fly God's plane with God's people, and we don't know where we're going. And the tragedy is so many churches are struggling because they don't know where they're going. They don't have a plan. And I just want to encourage you that God has a plan for this church. And we're moving forward with what he has for us. So a healthy church has members who trust, follow, respect their leaders. Number two, a healthy church has members who hold each other accountable. Notice it says, be submissive one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. How many of you enjoy hanging out with prideful people? Said nobody ever, right? I mean, prideful people just get under your skin, right? And we all struggle with some sort of pride, right? Let's just be honest. If you didn't, you struggle with pride because you can't, can't admit it. We all struggle. But here's the thing. Humility is something that's not natural. It's supernatural. That's why the Bible says, if you don't want God to resist you, because pride's like, I don't need you, God. I can do it myself. Well, God says it's like changing clothes. You have to put on the clothing of humility. It's not natural. It's supernatural. So if you want to be humble so you can avoid the stumble, you have to wear the clothes of humility. And what's the clothes of humility? It's the clothes of a servant. It's being submissive. It's yielding to one another. It's in the context of accountability. And I really believe the reason why so many marriages are struggling, there's no accountability outside the marriage. Men don't have men holding each other accountable. Women don't have women holding each other accountable. We need accountability. Back in the day when I was growing up in church, if you were out of line, people in the church would call you out. How many of you remember that day? Now when you get out of line, who says anything, right? And if, if, if you say anything, they just go to the church down the road, right? I'm offended. Oh, my feelings get hurt. We need a culture, a healthy culture, not a critical legalistic culture, but to call out the best in each other. And when you see someone going astray out of love, say, sister, brother, God's got a better plan. Amen. But it takes humility to receive that. Third healthy characteristic, a healthy church lives under the authority of God. Look at verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Here's the beautiful thing about God. He wants you to have an amazing life. Not an easy life. Not to say you won't have persecution or some of us couldn't die as martyrs. We're not teaching that prosperity gospel, but a blessed life that even in spite of the conflict, you have peace. Even in spite of the opposition, God is with you. And here's the thing, in Acts, they considered a joy to be suffering. So when we say blessed life, we're not talking about just financially prosperous or having a nice house. That, that could be. But we're talking about your heart, where you are with God. And if you are spiritually rich, that's all that matters anyways, right? So here's the thing, he says, if you want God to exalt you, you have to first get under God. And when you get under God, guess what? He lifts you up. A lot of times we try to exalt ourselves, and what does God do? He humbles us because we're doing it on our own. He wants to exalt us because we're leaning into him. We're following his Holy Spirit each and every day of our lives. All right, number four, fourth characteristic. A healthy church turns worries into prayers. Look at the next verse. Casting all your what? All your care upon him, for he cares for you. Does anybody have anxieties in the room today? Anybody suffer with panic attacks, stress? Like, Timothy, you've been reading my Facebook updates. Maybe a half. <laughs> Here's the thing. If you struggle with stress, anxieties, panic, 
If you're a good worrier, you can become a good worshiper. And you're like, how in the world are you saying that? Here's, here's the reason why. When you worry, you repeat something over and over and over in your mind. When you turn it internal to vertical, all of a sudden you say, God, I'm stressed out. Help me. God, I'm struggling. And all of a sudden you begin to turn your worries into prayers and your prayers become praise. And all of a sudden, instead of worrying, you're worshiping God and saying, God, even though I'm anxious, I thank you that you got a plan. God, even though I lost my job, thank you. You're going to give me a promotion. Something good's about to happen. God, even though I'm sick, I realize that you're ultimately got a glorified body prepared for me. And I know that nothing can come against me because he who is in Christ is more than a conqueror. More victory is mine. God, I don't, I don't know why I'm going through this trial, but what I do know is you're faithful. You have never let me down. All your words are true. God, goodness and mercy will pursue me. And God, they seem a long ways away. But you know what? They're catching up each and every day. So friends, I know we have worries. I know we have anxieties. But a healthy church says, God, I cast this upon you once and for all. It's the idea, imagine a fisherman's net. And all of a sudden you take all the fish in it, representing your worries, and you throw it into the sea of God's love. God, you got this. Once and for all, I'm casting it into you. Number five, a healthy church is aware of the devil's schemes. Look at the next verse. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like what? A roaring lion. Anybody ever seen the National Geographic program on the safari? And when does the lion roar? He roars to scare the gazelle away, right? The antelope, whatever way. And as the antelope, as the gazelle runs, it runs to the lioness, who is the real hunter. The lion is just trying to produce terror and they run away from the roar. So here's the thing. As a Christian, when you're following God and you're moving in the direction he's called you to do, when Satan roars, you don't run from the roar. You run to the roar. You know why? Because God is with you. And yes, Satan is powerful. You know, when we say he's a toothless tiger, we're talking about eternity. But right now he still has teeth, okay? He still seeks to destroy lives. But you know what? I'm not going to run from the roar because that's turning my back and that's fleeing. Instead, I'm standing my ground. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul says, be steadfast. Someone say steadfast. Unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain. So in other words, don't run from the roar. Run towards the roar. You're making progress. Satan is just trying to scare you. So be aware of his schemes. And finally, number six, a healthy church stands true to God even in the midst of suffering. We live in a day and age where there will be suffering. Many of you are suffering. You've got the bad doctor's support. The, 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 the C curse word has happened you know, like you get, you get these reports and it just seems so overwhelming. Look at the verse. It says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So here's the idea. Yes, suffering happens, but you can take your stand. You can resist the devil. And the Bible says when you resist the devil, what does he do? He flees. James tells us, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So if you're under attack right now, if you're hearing the lion roar, stand strong, stand true, and God will support you. He will lift you up. 
So let's, in conclusion, let's throw this leadership model back up here. This is in your listening guide. Over the last six weeks, you guys maybe not know we have presented this, but we've covered every area. We've covered our mission field, our community. You guys remember we talked about the Great Commission. Jesus told us to go make disciples, right? That His last command is our first priority. We talked about members and guests, how we each have a gift and we're each to serve. And we're the body of Christ. We've talked about deacons. We've talked about staff and pastors and, and elders. So here's how it all comes together. As a body of Christ, we serve one another. We love one another. We, we build each other up. And today we talked about the role of a shepherd. Let's throw the big idea on the screen. Today's big idea, just one sentence. Faithful shepherds, what do they do? Let's say it together. They lead, feed, and protect God's flock. They lead, feed, and protect God's flock. So a few applications of this. First of all, to the congregation, I ask you to pray for all of your shepherds, all of your pastors and leaders. We all need your prayers because we know there is a roaring lion and the temptation is to run from the roar instead of moving forward, knowing that God's calling you forward, right? So pray for us. Support us. Um, as we serve you, we're serving Christ. And it is, as I said, the greatest privilege, one of the greatest privileges of our life is to serve you. We, we don't take it for granted. We're, we're, we pour our hearts into that. So the pastors, if you're in a place of feeding a flock, you could be a Sunday school teacher. You know, the idea is we want to have the best fed sheep around. We want to protect them. We want to encourage them. Because you know what hap- happens when sheep are well fed and protected? They begin to thrive. They begin to grow. Healthy things grow. And if you're a guest, we just want to say welcome home. I really believe Terry's testimony is true. God's about to do something. I know we're in the midst of a pandemic, but guess what? The gospel is not on on, on break. So our goal is to get the good news out to every man, woman, teenager, and child. And we want to work with other churches. One of our visions is to help churches that are struggling and dying. We want what God has done here. We want to send that fire over to other churches. And encouragement, I want to give you guys a few updates. Um, I've got to follow up the one church. We, we have a contact at a church in Hendersonville, an Espanol church. They, they, they want to reach out to say, how can, how can we encourage them and pray for them? So they're, they're a congregation in Hendersonville. And there's been other churches that uh, God is connecting us with. And part of our goal is to just pour our life into them. What God has done here, he can help out these other churches. Amen. We want these churches, it's kind of like flickering lights. We want them to be bright, shining lights in their community. God is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we've covered a lot of scripture today. And um, I just pray, Lord, as we think about pastors, that we as a congregation would pray for our leaders. They're not perfect, but we pray that they would have clarity, they would have vision, they would have leadership. So, Lord, help our spiritual leaders, whether they are on staff here, whether they teach a life group, a Sunday school class, they would they would shepherd that group as a responsibility unto the Lord. And Father, I want to pray for our members. I know that they're gifted and they have a lot of gifts and many are bound with anxiety. They're struggling. And Father, I pray that today we just cast our cares upon you. And if you've been the one that's worried and hasn't given it to God, just tell him, God, I'm sorry for worrying. Forgive me. Forgive me for worrying. Help me to learn to be the person that prays about it instead of complains about it. And if there be one here today as we pray, maybe you're listening online, maybe you're in person, and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, we want to give you the chance to take that step of faith. 
We want to give you a chance to place your faith in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. If you believe that Jesus died for you, he rose again, and you're willing to follow him with your life, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, dear God, I do believe the gospel, that Jesus died and rose on my behalf. And God, I know that there's sin that separates me from you. So, Father, I pray that you would forgive me of all my sins. I pray that you would take away the guilt and the shame of my past. And, Father, I invite Jesus to live inside of me. I choose to follow him from this day forward for the rest of my life. Father, thank you for what you're doing here. I pray your blessings on all the churches around us, Lord, as they're having service. That, God, we would be the the people of God in a world that needs light that we would let the light shine to those who are far from you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Bless you.